G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hi, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast from the Vision Radio Network. Remember, you can hear 2020 weekdays on Vision from 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Time. That's from 11 Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time. The Christian faith has shaped and defined many nations and cultures for thousands of years. While the history of the church is far from perfect, the Christian faith has very often been in the forefront of standing for a better world, opposing social injustices, inequality, the sex trade, and promoting education, ethics, affirming family and life. It's very often and more and more uncomfortable to take a stand on some of these issues today. It's easy to remain silent. Not so Andrea Williams. Andrea is CEO of Christian Concern UK, which seeks to infuse a biblical worldview into every aspect of society. She says people with Christian faith need to get passionate about the way Christianity intersects our culture to become a light to the world. Andrea was in Australia to speak at last weekend's Religious Freedom Conference and she caught up with Lee Hatcher. So you're clearly passionate about your faith. Is that a product of what you are like or what your faith means to you? It's The passion is all about Jesus and the truth that emanates from him. When society is shaped by him, society flourishes. When we're shaped by him, then we flourish. And really since I was a little girl, just four, when a Sunday school, I was put on a bus to go to Sunday school and a teacher, she told me all about Jesus and I fell in love with him there and then. I can't remember not loving Jesus. And indeed, uh, he has shaped uh, my life, my purpose from that very moment. Although he was a man who lived 2,000 plus years ago. That's the extraordinary thing. And of course, it's not just for someone like me it's millions of people the world over whose lives are shaped entirely by him why because he lives today and i'm here as a living testimony to that that my whole life has been shaped around the fact that this jesus he lived and he died and then he rose again and we remember that at easter don't we which is a wonderful testimony but it's not enough for you to be private with your faith you've got to take it onto the public stage why is that it's um it's interesting it's not so much that i'm thinking um andrea williams has to go and to tell the whole world about jesus and that there's something special about me uh, doing that but rather as a christian lawyer i'm a barrister by profession by by background i began to see increasingly that the laws in the united kingdom were straying from our great christian heritage from our great christian backdrop from all that have made us great as Great Britain, I mean, here in Australia. And the thing that has surprised me uh, is just how far away Australia <laughs> is. Well, and it is, I mean, you could You're say right that, we're, that Great Britain's very far away from you, but <laughs> actually so. being on the plane, going from, from <laughs> night to day. It's a bit going, of a shock, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. But I, it also has made me reflect this week on the fact that Great Britain, that tiny little country, had an impact across the globe 
and set education systems into place, health systems into place, legal systems into place, parliamentary systems into place. This is absolutely extraordinary. And they worked. They brought freedom and flourishing. They brought hospitality. They brought welcome. They brought justice, liberty. These are great principles and they're all principles that flow from a proper understanding of the Christian faith. And of course, we had that dating right back to the Magna Carta in Great Britain. And there is a reality that because our laws were shaped by biblical precepts, by Jesus Christ, in fact, because they were, I believe so our nation flourished. So we flourished corporately and indeed the systems that we then spread across the world flourished. So how did Christian concern begin and why did it start? Yes, it really began in response uh, to the fact that the church appeared to be increasingly mute or that the church didn't really have a voice in our country in a sense that it all was being ignored or that the voice was unclear that in fact the signal that was coming out uh, from the spokesman within our church was very unclear on presenting issues whether those issues were to do uh, with sanctity of life the need for protection of the most vulnerable of life for the pre-born child for marriage as between a man and a woman the importance of purity of sexual purity the very freedom to speak of Jesus Christ in the public sphere because of the onslaught of a increasing secularism and this false notion that somehow secularism is neutral in the public square, all Christianity had to essentially be removed from it. How would you describe those who support your campaigns and participate in them? Regular folk. Yeah. Just regular folk. Aunt Alice from Salford. It's David Jones from Swansea. It's John Smith from York. Ordinary folk who felt disempowered by um, a system in our country where they're feeling increasingly disenfranchised, where it seems that we are just doing away with our great Christian heritage, uh, where we're living increasingly in a land of competing rights, of less freedom, of more disharmony, where we seem to have lost our roots, lost our moors, where we seem to be a nation that's a bit sad. We've got nothing to believe in anymore. We don't even have the sunshine. <laughs> well, at least we've got that. I'm also wondering as we speak whether people in our audience feel this kind of way and what issues exercise their mind in this way. If you'd like to join an open house conversation on this, our number is 1300402020. So, Andrea, run us through some of the specific issues you're seeking to raise, seeking to change our society or, or impact on it. Well, I think what we have to realise is that there are many things that we have allowed to happen and that we now don't speak of. So let's just take a look, for instance, at our abortion laws in the United Kingdom. The Abortion Act was passed in 1967. And since that time, we have aborted 8 million babies. 8 million. It's an extraordinary number and we never talk about it. And of course, it's not just the unborn life that has gone that has never been lived but it's all the lines that come from that but also the impact on the the mother the impact on the father so it's an extraordinary thing to live with and we don't speak about it i mean i think across the rest of western world we don't speak about the fact that we are doing that to the most vulnerable we were all embryos once and uh, in europe at the moment we have just commenced a campaign called one of us and that's just basically saying that the embryo is one of us. 
because once upon a time we were all embryos. There's a fear to speak about these kind of issues. Absolutely, because people don't want to upset those who've had abortions. And I think there we've got to say to those who've had abortions, there is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. That's what we've got to say. And they've got restoration and you can be free of guilt. And this is something that we need to do. We need to give women permission to speak of what it is that they've done. Very often it's because the culture allows for this that it then occurs. The culture doesn't give much room for any alternative. And one of my challenges here to the church is that we need to understand that this is a massive issue and we are the ones that people are waiting for to provide the solution, to provide the alternative. And how can we do that? Well, we need to be the place where people come when they're in unplanned pregnancies. We need to be able to offer the woman shelter. We need to be able to offer her the capability of having that baby. And then we need to make adoption popular again. Either we help the woman to keep the baby or we simply take these babies and we look after them. It is possible and it will be a good thing. You campaign on many other issues beyond abortion. Can I get you to take us through briefly some of the campaigns you've been running to take on these issues and put them on the radar of the Christian community and the community at large? First campaign, Not Ashamed campaign. What was that about? Yes, that's an ongoing campaign. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus in Mark 8 talked of the fact that some of us might be ashamed. It was to give Christians the courage to say, we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of standing up for Jesus. We're not ashamed of standing up for everything that he stands for. And I think we've had a very narrow concept of what the gospel is. That it's just about a personal relationship with Jesus, about our own personal redemption, that somehow it's private. No, Christianity is public. Christian truth is public truth. Because the Bible is God's blueprint for living and we should not be ashamed of the standards that he sets uh, for that from Genesis to Revelation. It's about the redemption of culture. So actually it's about was about giving people the tools and the mechanisms to speak of him in the public sphere. Because in the United Kingdom, it's increasingly difficult to do so. Because in the United Kingdom, they're scrapping prayers out of the schools. They're scrapping the teaching of Christian scripture from the schools. They're scrapping prayers out of the local councils. They're scrapping prayers at the start of legal proceedings. They're scrapping all public manifestation of Christianity. And I'm here in Australia to say, watch out. Don't let this happen to your great nation. And I think a big difference that I've noticed here as well Christian organisations are responsible for a lot of the delivery of care, aged care, hospitals, nurseries, education establishments. Now, in the United Kingdom, you'd be in a great deal of trouble because you wouldn't be able to promote a Christian ethos. You'd have to subscribe to equality and diversity policies. And if you weren't prepared to promote other religions, if you weren't prepared to promote homosexuality, you'd find yourself in trouble. You'd find that your grant was taken away. You'd find that your charitable status was taken away these things are real and they're coming to you unless you speak out and stop it at the very beginning you're listening to the 2020 podcast from the vision radio network we return now to lee hatcher's conversation with andrea williams andrea is the ceo of christian concern uk which seeks to infuse a biblical worldview into every aspect of society. She was in Australia to speak at last weekend's Religious Freedom Festival, and she's been talking to Lee Hatcher about the way in which freedom of religion is fast becoming a thing of the past in Britain, as it becomes harder and harder to be openly Christian. Somewhat related to this is the Wilberforce Academy. Tell us about that. Yeah, the Wilberforce Academy is all about raising up 
a next generation to be vocal and visible for Jesus Christ in their sphere of work. So whether they're media men, lawyers, medics, politicians, mums at the school gate, teachers, nurses, public servants, actually to be cohesive in, in their thinking, actually to be intentional about ensuring that Christianity is public. You also ran the Equal and Free campaign. Tell us about that. Yes, the Equal and Free campaign, um, and currently Baroness Cox has a bill before Parliament uh, to, in order to ensure that sh- Sharia law does not creep into our legal system through the back door. Why is this? Because in the United Kingdom, a lot of immigration, many Muslims have come in. The way in which we've dealt with it is to encourage segregation and not integration, not assimilation. And so what we have in certain towns, such as Dewbury and Luton and certainly to the east of London, are places that are highly Islamized. Places where, for instance, you wouldn't be able to get any meat other than halal meat. Um, If you went to the doctors there, to the hospitals, to the schools, only halal meat would be served. Where the communities actually self-regulate and Sharia courts operate. They operate, of course, they don't have the force of law, but there is a sense in which they are operating. And when that happens, the women do not have access to justice. And so let me give you another example on that. Muslim men will have arranged marriages. They'll bring a woman across from Pakistan and they will marry her in English law. Then they will divorce her in English law, but they will remain married under Sharia law. And that's the law that counts because there is not sufficient respect for the domestic law. Another wife will then come in and the same process will ensue. And then the state picks up the tab for ensuring that benefits are paid or that the children are schooled and so on and so forth. Now, we want to welcome our neighbours and we want to see Muslims come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we are finding is that these areas become radicalised. There are areas, mosques put down as cultural, Islamic cultural centres are places which radicalise the young. Sometimes those that are English are becoming radicalised, even in these places. And this is something that we need to see. There's also an incredible fear in our nation of talking about Islam. We see our public broadcaster never able to properly critique Islam, but they can mock and be blasphemous towards Jesus Christ and nothing happens at all. This idea that Jesus is exclusively true would be offensive to the Muslim. The real heart of Christian concern and how it started was around the religious hatred bill uh, campaign where we could have found ourselves criminalised in that situation for saying that sort of thing if someone had taken offence. Can I get you to take us through a few of the names that you've championed and tell us a bit about their story briefly? Dr Richard Scott. That was a case where a very well-known doctor in his local area on the south of England, Margate, had taken a patient who had been doing very, very well in his um, chosen profession, but sadly was unable to continue and had become depressed, really. And as a result of that, Dr Scott, after a full examination, was really talking to him about whether his own personal faith helped him in any way. He wasn't a Christian. He said no. And Dr Scott asked if he'd considered Jesus. Now, the patient talked and shut down the conversation, and that was the end of that. But it was this patient was in his 20s. It was the patient's mother that complained. Dr Scott was then reported to the General Medical Council. First occasion, the complainant did not turn up, nor on the second occasion. Evidence was received by telephone. 
Now, this is a fundamental rule for us in our quasi-criminal proceedings that we need to be able to cross-examine him. We need to be able to look and understand how a person is responding to the questioning. But the German Medical Council went ahead and they found uh, Dr. Scott guilty. And so he has a, now has a warning on his record, literally for talking about Jesus. If, for instance, he had molested a woman in his surgery and she had not turned up the first time, and then the second time, that case would have been dropped. They were very intent upon pursuing Dr. Scott. Another woman you've helped is Shirley Chaplin. Beautiful lady, very quiet lady. She had worn a cross, a confirmation cross from the age of 17, had nursed all her life, over 30 years in nursing. Just a very quiet Christian. There was a change in uniform policy at the hospital where she was working, and she was asked to remove the cross that the cross should not be visible she said i can't possibly remove my cross i've never removed my cross they said it must not be visible and the new uniform meant that it was a little bit visible after the initial few weeks they began to develop other arguments saying that the cross would provide a health and safety hazard what was very extraordinary about this case was that we began to be put to proof as to whether or not the cross was a manifestation of faith whether or not the cross was a christian symbol and indeed, this case went from the local employment tribunal to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. And there, our government, our English government, our government out of Westminster, said that the cross in their submission was not a generally recognised form of practising the Christian faith. Oh, please. <laughs> it's there in black please. and white. And that Shirley's freedom of religion was not interfered with. And you, got, you just simply can't make this up, actually. Yeah. But it's there in black and white, and, and listeners can go and, and see it for real. The government also said that Shirley's freedom of religion was not interfered with because she was free to resign and seek employment elsewhere. So, Christian, your freedom to manifest your faith is your freedom to resign. Let me say that the uniform policy was also not uniform in that Muslims were given exemptions. They were allowed to wear the hijab tied with a, a brooch, which of course would have provided much more of a, a health and safety hazard. They were allowed to continue to wear sleeves down to the wrists. Again, much more of a health and safety issue. It was a ruse. It was very difficult. Can I ask you this? As you deal with such challenging issues in the public square, how challenging is it to campaign and incurring the wrath of numbers of groups in society, and yet maintain the gentleness and respect that the Apostle Peter writes about in the Bible's New Testament. That must be quite a challenge. It's grace for today and bright hope for tomorrow, and the Lord does equip us for each and every day. Coming across to Australia has been interesting for me because I never want to leave the United Kingdom because I feel like euthanasia might be legalised or something if I leave the country. Really? <laughs> or, so, or, there, or a judgment will come because I'm so passionate about my nation. I'm so passionate about a nation that's turned her back on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I'm a Christian lawyer at the end of the day. That's what God made me. I didn't know that's what I was going to become. It's almost like a missionary Christian lawyer. But he put that desire in my heart as a little girl. It was him that did that. It wasn't of my own making. I'm therefore passionate about truth and justice and justice for the individual, but justice for communities, justice for families. And all of these things hold true when we hold to Christ. When marriage holds together, families hold together, communities hold together. That's how life works. In the United Kingdom, we've obliterated these things, absolutely obliterated it. We've obliterated definitions on marriage, 
So marriage can almost mean anything you want it to mean. It's very highly concerning. But travelling all this way has made me see that we've got a great big God. He is very, very big. He flung this planet into space and he flings the stars into space. And I may be very exercised and intense about what's happening in the United Kingdom, but there's a sense in which I now understand that this planet's very big and he holds it in the palm of his hand. And, you know, what am I? And the scheme thing, and so what he calls me to be is obedient. And I suppose the challenge that I will bring here to the church in Australia. And when I say the church, that's across denominations. It's about people who love Jesus. It's about the bride of Christ. Don't allow yourselves to become privatised. Remember that you can speak truth into the public sphere. Are you an optimist for the future or a pessimist? Maybe a realist. (laughs) That's an interesting answer, yeah. We put Jesus to death on the cross. It was a false trial. He was accused and he was mocked. And he was scorned. So when we can do that to God himself, then there's nothing new under the sun. God is very, very patient and very, very kind. And he redeems individuals and he redeems nations. And he's very kind because he holds the hand of judgment. He stays judgment upon us because he loves us. And if we turn back to him, then we can flourish. As you say, he's a big God. Andrew Williams, thank you so much indeed for joining us. It's been great to be here. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.